Welcome to Grounded in the Word. Here in this podcast, our concern is all about the foundation or the soil of our hearts. The state of the soil or the state of our hearts, the foundation that we build upon determines everything. Just as it is with the building, if the foundation is not right, then the rest of the building will follow in suit. It will not be right. It will be unsafe, unsteady. Or if the soil that a seed is planted in is not good or pure soil, then what is grown, what is birthed from that seed will not be good, will not be pure. So we need to make sure that our foundation and our soil is good and right and pure. And that's all that we are concerned about here is just making sure that what we are planting in, the seed that we are receiving, making sure that it's going into good soil and making sure that which we are building up is built on a good foundation. I pray that you join us in this endeavor to ensure that that foundation and ensure that that soil is good. Welcome back, everybody, to the third episode of our um, podcast, continuing our um, foundation segment here. Um, Real quick, before we deep dive into anything, there were two passages of scripture last week that I was failing to recall. Um, One from when I mentioned that God declares the end from the beginning, that's found in Isaiah 46, 8 through 10, if you want to look that up. Also, I was failing to remember um, the salvation does now save us passage. That's 1 Peter 3.21. If anybody was curious about those and wanting to look those up, now you are able to. Um, So, jumping into this week here, I mentioned on Facebook, if anybody is friends with me or follows me on Facebook, that this week we had a special guest with us, so... Excited to introduce uh, Pastor Brent Fisher here, joining us this week in our discussion of Genesis. Um, if you want to you wanna say something here. Well, it's great to be with you, Chris. Thank you for the invitation. Um, and just looking forward to just talking about the Word of God today. Yes, sir. All right. So... Um, and Pastor Fisher and I have already kind of discussed this and laid the possible groundwork for it um, because we we are both the, the type of fellows that like to go off on rabbit trails. So um, not sure how far we will get here. And depending on how, how things go, we may split this into two sessions. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Play it by ear here. Um, so last week we talked about, well, we really only got through the first three verses of Genesis 1. Um, and really laid the foundation that the essence of who God is, is, is life. That he declared that essence of himself from his first acts of creation, uh, turning chaos into order, establishing a place where life could exist, um, shining forth his light into creation, which as we correlated to Revelation 22, which was Jesus from the end shining onto creation. And in uh, John chapter 
1 verses 4 through 5, how it says the light was the life of men. So everything in those first few verses declares that at the core of who he is, there is life. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to you wanna add to that before we go much further. No, uh, just when you were talking last week, it, it the essence of the scripture in the beginning is it reveals God's purpose, and that is bringing life um, to a dead situation. Um, and as you search the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament, every every situation that is dead, God brings life um, to it. And as we're going to discuss in more detail, um, just the awesome power that you begin to experience through God's word. Um, Hopefully the, the study and the revelation begins to bring life to your situation, begins to bring life to uh, to your circumstance, things that you think are dead, to your promises, to your um, prophetic words, things that uh, your destiny, your purpose, that um, when we think something is dead, God brings life. And it's amazing to see God's word uh, reveal that to us and unfold in that manner. Amen. And uh, um, kind of when you were talking there, um, going off on our first little rabbit trail here, um, passages came to mind from John chapter 11 with uh, the story of Lazarus. Um, so it's that, that the story of Lazarus has always been intriguing to me because mm-hmm. you, have, you have an example of just how powerful the Word of God is. Um, how he, how his word, how everything, and this is the way that I like to explain it. Explain it in different way. Like when I've mentioned it before, when I've written about it, is that the God created all things through His voice, through His word. Let there right. be. So all of creation was formed by the word. Um, and so the way I've, I've always looked at it is, all of creation remembered the sound of that voice the sound that created it, the sound that brought it into existence. Because death, the most powerful thing that we know in the physical realm, um, it had had its hold on Lazarus. Lazarus, I can't say his name correctly today, but that's all right. Um, uh, had its hold on him. But when at his word, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, even you know what we view as the most powerful thing in in the natural realm could not keep its grip on him because it, it, like I said, it, creation itself recognized the sound of the voice that brought it forth and submitted itself mm-hmm. to that voice and was forced to give up its grip and let him go and let life come again. That's that's good. The phrase that you used, he remembered the sound of his voice. Could you not correlate that also to the shepherd? Yeah. The sheep, sheep know, yeah. know my voice. So not only the voice of God being recognized and that level of submission that pulls you or, or releases the grip of death and chaos on your life, yeah. but also pulls you uh, as an attraction. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be even a dead situation. The prodigal son... Yeah, he knew where his father was. He knew his father's voice. There's so many correlations with that. 
that tie in that I, I like that phrase they remember the sound of his voice because it goes so much deeper yeah it's good um so there's a lot that we could go through in genesis obviously we are it lays out for us the the cre- creation of the rest of the universe throughout the remainder of genesis chapter one um not really going to touch on that a whole lot um instead we're going to jump ahead here and we're going to jump ahead to chapter well chapter 1 verse 26 uh, and 27 we are going to um jump ahead to the creation of man uh not not downplaying the of the rest of the aspects of creation not um considering them unimportant um but i especially feel that when you when you study out and um you can add to this or give your viewpoint here pastor fisher as well but when you when you study out the creation it seems evident that everything that god created and did was simply leading to man he was setting the stage so to speak laying out the environment and the atmosphere for which man could dwell in so everything was pointing to them right any anything that has sustainable life yeah you have to think about atmosphere. Yeah. Um, God used uh, agriculture, um, many different, par- in every parable, just things that related not only to the people, but also brought the full circle of um, your perspective to what is needed for this to be sustainable. Because God doesn't do anything by accident. Right. And when you understand that, then you understand that God is not going to make a decision one day and retract it the next. Yeah. Um, uh, he's not a man that he should repent, that there's something about his word that is not just going to bring life, but it's going to bring sustainable life. Yeah. So what to your point of the first acts of God before creating man and leading up to the creation of man, I think is very accurate because he's creating the atmosphere um, in which uh, man could be sustainable. So before he ever breathed into that clump of sand and formed man, there was an atmosphere that he could live in. Yeah. And that's that's what God does for your life is is you have to trust that God's prepared things around you. Right. That is going to sustain the life that he wants to give you. Yeah. So kind of, um, again, when you're talking there, uh, my mind went to Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. His word is fulfillment. So when you think about void, you have to go back to Genesis 1 and read that one scripture where it says the earth was Formless. without form and vo- yeah. or void. Yeah. So when you understand that the spoken word of God, not the actions of God, just right. the spoken word, yeah. released enough power to remove the void, yeah. then you understand the power in the, in the word of God, the logos, um, the rhema, however yeah. it's presented, it removes that void. 
yeah. and creates a fulfillment, creates a sustainability, um, and gives us uh, substance in our life. The you were talking about the word of God not coming back void. Um, the idea, I shouldn't say the idea, the truth mm -hmm. that God's word is life and that God created an atmosphere to bring life. Um, if we go to Romans chapter 17, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 17. Mm -hmm. um, bear with me just a minute. Acts chapter 17, verse number 25. Um, Paul is, or I'm sorry, Luke, rather. Um, there's another scripture in Romans I was thinking of, Paul. Um, but here we find that there is a um, interaction where he's, in my opinion, or not my opinion, but in my reference, he's referring back to Genesis 1 in mm -hmm. his preaching uh, in Athens. But it, it says, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before pointed in the bounds of their habitation. Um, bounds of their habitation is a very interesting study. I won't get into that. Um, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might ever feel after him and find him, though they be not though he be not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, verse number 28. But in verse 25, when he talks about life, he's talking about um, when God created. I mean, he's preaching to them that had a uh, an altar built to the unknown God, a temple, that they were worshiping the Athenians and and he was trying to tell them that I'm going to declare to you that you ignorantly worship this, yeah. but I'm going to declare to you the God that you should worship. Yeah. And as he's talking to them, he's telling them in verse 24, God, that I'm going to tell you that there's a God that made the world mm -hmm. and all things therein. So he's going back to the beginning yeah. to denounce any false religion or to, to stand against a lie. You don't need to go to chapter 17 yeah go back to chapter one yeah absolutely god conquered all yeah in chapter one yeah. he brought he came to bring life he created yeah. life um seeing that he is lord of heaven and earth dwells not in temples made with hands so there is something about what he gives and that is life and breath um the word breath is and i'm going to butcher you said you were having a hard time pronouncing lazarus this <laughs> greek and hebrew is is the epitome <laughs> of my mispronunciations yeah um but breath, uh, I believe it's uh, Noe, P-N-O-E. Uh, Numa. Numa. Or... I know P-N would be in. Oh, that might... Okay. That might be a form of... I think Numa is Numa, the... Is Numa the is... Probably. Yeah. Numa, it, because this is... the Still talking about the same thing. Breath. Yeah. Yeah. Still talking about wind. Yeah. So the breath of life. Yeah. So what he's doing here is referencing, and this is interesting because it's the same word in Acts 17 that he's using mm -hmm. to reference Acts chapter 2. Yep, absolutely. Talking about the mighty rushing wind yep. that blew into the house. So 
not that a tornado came into the room, but God's right. breath of life yep. being born again. Right. John chapter 3. Yep. You can't be born. When a child is born, yep. the very first thing they had me as a dad do with my, my oldest daughter, Adelaide, is they laid her over in a on a cart wrapped in a blanket, warmed her up, and gave me an oxygen tube and had me hold that oxygen tube right up to her nostril to give mm. her pure O2 so that she could begin to absorb yeah. the atmospheric oxygen and begin huh. to breathe, um, breathe stronger, yeah. kind of that boost. Yeah. So when you're born, you step out of an atmosphere yeah. of concealment, and now you're in an open atmosphere. So now you have to expand your lungs. Yeah. The mother is not helping you do all these things on your own, but now you're expanding into a new atmosphere and you're breathing. Yeah. What God is doing when you're born again is he's breathing yeah. into you that refreshment. Absolutely. And that new breath of life. Um, so as he's doing that and that new breath of life, um, it's fulfilling the purpose that he wants. There's a, re, there's a sustainability in that breath that comes. Something interesting that which we're getting ready to get into, you, you wanted to talk about the creation of man yeah. um, and the forming of man. What's interesting is we got the form of man, right? Mm -hmm. He creates man in his own image. Right. Forms the dust of the earth, breathes this pneuma, this mm -hmm. breath of life. Yeah. He has an atmosphere that's ready, that's ripe, breathes into them, into him. But then he takes a rib from the man's side. Right. Puts the man to sleep, takes a rib, creates woman. God called that woman. God didn't name her. Right. So he made woman out of man. Mm -hmm. And to understand the, and then woman means. Of man. Of man. Right. Um, but it, it's kind of a, a joke because the words for man and woman, woman is Isha mm -hmm. and man is Ish. Ish. So every, everybody that's heard somebody say they're getting married to somebody is saying, oh, you're going to marry that man. Eesh. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah. it's kind of, that's dad joke number one yeah. for this episode. But it's to understand what woman is. Mm -hmm. It is actually what I see is more, you've got to understand what woman is not. Mm. Because it's not the definition of what God created there. It's what is not there mm -hmm. that makes her what, so to understand, and this goes so much deeper with that, but to understand what woman is, you got to understand what she's not. Yeah. Because she was made as what? A helpmeet for the man. Right. So yeah. she was made not as the weaker one. Right. But she was made as the one that would complete him. Right. So it was to understand what she is, you got to understand what she is not. Mm -hmm. So when you understand what man is, by default, it's kind of like, a puzzle with just two pieces. Yeah. You can't see the picture without both pieces. Right. So to understand what one is, you got to have the other. To right. understand what that is, you got to understand what the other one is. Right. But when you get those two together, you have the completeness of what God has, which takes us to Paul in Romans. Right. When it talks about the union between man and woman and the lust right. going after yeah. um, uh, the man after man, woman after woman. So it's understanding that God created those two to be the only... Right. Pair that yeah. you create. But in that is life. Mm -hmm. 
in that is is the breath that God has um, yeah. and the creation. It wasn't until after that, after sin entered into the mm-hmm. world, after disobedience, that woman was woman. Yeah. She she had a a purpose first. Yeah. She didn't have a name yet. Right. She had a purpose. Yeah. So she was. It was. What, what what it was the essence of what she was given first and then after sin mm-hmm. was entered into the world Adam then in Genesis chapter it's 3 verse 20 in Genesis 3 20 that's when it says Adam named her Eve, Eve. right so Adam was given the dominion to name animals, all things all right. things yeah he named the woman right so it's only fitting that it would follow God as a God of order yeah so God would not circumvent. Right. God created Eve. Right. Just like he created Adam. Right. But he was not going to name what was given to Adam. Right. So being the God of order, he followed that order. Adam had to name her. But Adam named her after death has now been, mm-hmm. they were, God was making them coats. Yeah. And skins, out of skins that there was, they had to be covered. They were getting ready to be exiled from the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. He named her Eve. The giver of life. Giver of life. Yeah. Why in that circumstance would he name somebody after the purpose? And when he's staring death in the face. Right. Staring exile in the face. He reminded her of and called her after her purpose. Yeah. And named her like, this is not just a title that you are, but this is now your name. Right. So there's now dominion being passed to you through that name. Yeah. Same we find in, in baptism and salvation. Absolutely. We can't yeah. have that power until we have the name. Right. We get right. the authority through the Spirit, and we get right. the power through the name. Uh, there's just, we get that cohesion yeah. of life. Right. And sustainability. Right. And that's what's powerful about the Word of God, just the way it, it, it ties together. But it's very interesting when you when you see the sequence and what God does. Yeah. You know, there are a couple of interesting things, a couple of areas my mind went throughout um, all of that. Um, touch on the most uh, recent one, I guess. But it's interesting how in our current day and age, in our culture, um, names have little to no value anymore um, in terms of uh, what they actually represent. Um in our present culture, names are purely, um, you know, how, how we get someone's attention. That's all that they are. Um, they're our way of acknowledging them. It's our way of, you know, like saying, hey, I'm talking to you. Right. Um, but in, in biblical culture, um, and arguably should still be true in our culture, um, uh, is that the name... I that whatever a person was named became their identity. Right. It became who they were. It became who they represented. Right. It was um, a prophetic declaration of their future. Even um, like for example, Isaac, born to Abraham and Sarah. Um, Isaac literally means laughter. And when God uh, told Abraham and Sarah that, that he was going to be born to them, they both, that's an interesting study in and of itself because Abraham actually laughed first, if you mm-hmm. actually study it out. And then Sarah laughed right. because it flows from the head down. But the word, the word was revealed to Adam or to Abraham before yeah. Sarah as well. Yeah. 
and so, but they both laughed. And so Isaac came out being right. named laughter. Um, and there's a couple different ways that scholars think that that could be interpreted because, um, um, some, some when when Isaac was born, um, and she named him Laughter, and uh, she made the comment. I forget the exact verbiage she used, but something along the lines of that when you know when people would see him with her, there would be laughter, mm-hmm. and some interpret that to to mean well that was either you know them rejoicing with her in her f- promise fulfilled, or people mocking her, right. like. You, a 90 years old with a newborn, like how ridiculous yeah. is that? Either way, that's just an interesting side note. But it's they that name, it, it enunciated who he was, right? Like he was born out of laughter, right? Um, and even Jacob, uh, very translated very accurately means he who grabs the heel, mm-hmm. um, and that word has come to mean deceiver. And that's who Jacob was. Right. It was pronounced over him. So that's that, that was the life that he lived for so long. Right. Um, um, so it's interesting how powerful names are. Going back to your point about baptism. Um, the power of baptism is obviously in what he did on the cross. Because the blood. Right. But it's also the name. Right. The name, you know. Uh, baptism in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have no power or dominion because titles have no authority. Um, you know, we we use in the apostolic culture, we use this example all the time, but, you know, you're a father, you're a son, you're a husband, those yeah. titles give you no authority. Right. Um, it's your name, Brent Fisher, that gives you the authority. Right. Um, so that, yeah, that's an interesting thing. But also, uh-huh. going back to Acts 17 here, you know, something that really stood out to me, and I've read this many times before, but something about it is just catching my attention here. It's, it's interesting that the Athens referred to this particular God and that Paul used this particular God as the example, but it's interesting that it is inscribed to an unknown God. That's extremely interesting to an unknown God. And Paul used that inscription to then build into and, and, and point to Jesus. And, and through it, he even says, and you quoted it, um, uh, verse 27 of 17, uh, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him. This is the NASB and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Right. So he, you know, their their view of him was the unknown god, the you know, and if you study out, you know, Greek culture, it's that their idea of deity was that um, they had no interaction, they had no dealings with humanity, mm-hmm. they were above humanity, they they, you know, there was no personalization there. Um, they created they created the the universe and then stepped outside of it and said, let it be. Um, but Paul, it's so interesting that Paul flips, flips the paradigm, you know, turns it on its heel and says, you call him an unknown God, but he is the knowable God. Right. Um, and, you know, pointing that back to Genesis, that's, that's the, the essence that we get from when we go through Genesis and we'll 
we may have to go into two sessions. We're already half an hour here, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, but but that's that's the essence that we get from Genesis, is that yeah, God had His hand in every aspect of creation. You know, He personally created all things. But then we jump ahead to um, Genesis three, and it said that God was walking in the cool of day, calling to Adam. So not it wasn't just a creation and then a stepping back. It wasn't just a, I'm going to make you and then let you be. Right. It was I'm going to visit you daily and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to talk with you and I'm going to interact with you. Pointing back to Acts 17 um, and, you know, point correlating that to the fall. It was only because of the fall that the known God became misunderstood as the unknown God. That that, you know, relationship was severed. You know, God said in the garden, where are you? Mm-hmm. And the, the God of the universe, the, the omnipresent, omniscient, um, uh, a God who, who knows all, sees all, and hears all, asks, where are you? Right. That's such a profound question. Right. And we, I, they, our familiarity with scripture, I think, um, does us in a lot. Uh, we become so familiar with passages and references and concepts that we hear it and we're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. And we move on mm-hmm. because it's that, it's that familiarity. We, we know it. We just we continue on. We, we, we seek things that, we, that are obvious that we don't know. And that's good to an extent. But there's so much that we don't know and in, in even what's seemingly obvious. Right. And, you know, we, like I said, the familiarity oftentimes shoots us in our own foot and that we, we look at passages like him asking, where are you? And just move on. But there's so, so much, much that could be dug from that. Right. You know, the, the, and we'll hopefully get into it, if not in this uh, uh, segment, hopefully in a uh, future one. But that's such a profound question. Right. The fact that God asked that question of where are you? But. You said it, our familiarity with scripture, with stories, with uh, truth, for lack of a better word. Yeah. It, it numbs our senses to the depth to a point. To us, we can't fathom, and when I say us, I mean those uh, like myself that I've born on a church pew. Right, yep. Raised in, raised in, in a church I don't know what it was. I've been at more church events, helping and and saying it. Just you're you're around church all the time, right? Um, so to a certain extent, I can't understand and process properly, really, how somebody that is so desperate to have a relationship with a higher power mm-hmm. or a deity mm-hmm. that they have no concept of who he is right that they would create or find an inanimate object yeah and yeah recite chants or worship or right idolize right I- yeah. idolatry yeah yeah but there's such a desperation for relationship that that's what people will do yes and it's our familiarity that detaches us from that and thank God for that because we, we have experienced relational, um, walk with God. Right. But we, sometimes we got to take that step back to what you were saying, the unknown God. He's, I mean, these people are, are worshiping something that they don't have that relationship with. And it was 
the exile from the Garden of Eden, the main thing that changed, well, one, when in the cool of the day, God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and talk with them, mm -hmm. same time every day, same atmosphere. He created the garden for them. Right. Created this atmosphere for them to enjoy. Right. So all this is for you, Adam right. and Eve. Right. We're walking, we're talking. He comes back the next day. Same time, same day, or right. next day. What's changed? Right. His calling was still the same. Yeah. His voice was still the same. Yeah. But the people he was talking to were not there to meet him. Right. They were hiding in the bushes. Right. Because they were, they had now understood what shame and guilt felt like. Right. Yeah. That he did not want them to go through and feel because he created this atmosphere for them to inhabit in just the joy of his presence. Yeah. So now that has changed. So then the relationship doesn't change by choice. It changes by action. Yeah. So the exile from the Garden of Eden was not that he didn't want to commune with them anymore. Right. But it's that he couldn't commune with them in that way. Yeah. Because they violated the purity right. of the relationship. Yeah. So there was still now a sacrifice that had to be made. Right. Uh -huh. Skins, yeah. to to talk to him to have that relationship to right. to tithe to him to pay homage to not in idolatry but in relationship right so there was a different manner that was ushered in because of sin right so we when god delivers us from something what he's doing is as he's delivering you he's removing the barrier yeah between your lack of relationship right. and your desire for relationship right so the more this this is the testimony of the more the longer you're in church quote unquote mm -hmm. the longer you are serving god the closer you should be to god right yeah absolutely it is not out of obligation or mere agenda it no. is out of relationship right because the yeah. longer you serve him the more revelation you should have right yeah the more unveiling you should have the more yeah trying to get back to that atmosphere yeah that god created to and i'm not i'm not saying that god's going to create in your own life a garden of eden <laughs> um we're all going to have to work we're absolutely. all going to have to toil yeah but there can be a spiritual eden absolutely in your life there yeah. could be an oasis yeah through prayer yes. and through sacrifice that god creates that relationship and wants to get you back to right absolutely but it's like you said through our familiarity we've detached ourselves from that yeah um and just one thing to piggyback on that kind of going down a different trail is the complexity of how we portray that mm -hmm. sometimes when i think about it to to get a message not to get a message, but when you're formulating preaching or teaching, yeah. sometimes, I'll be honest, it is in the forefront of your mind, how can I tell mm -hmm. the simple word of God that people will get it? Right, yes. And when I say get it, it's not, I'm the lowest, I'm not preaching to people that are that are below me, but how are they going to, how can I gift wrap it to where they want to take it home. That's a good way to put it, yeah. How can I present it to where they want to embrace it? Not, right. not that the Word of God needs any flowery words or needs anything, but that's where we get stuck. Correct. 
through our familiarity right. and through our comfort with right. the word that we, we neglect the power sometimes and we try to gift wrap it and sermonize it. Yeah. But I was reminded just last night in a, in a kid's service um, that the, the preacher was telling the story of the lost sheep. Yeah. The shepherd left the 99 and went after the one. Right. And it was with antics of creating rain noises and telling a story of how the shepherd climbed this mountain and went mm -hmm. over this, through this valley and went through the town and was, had a, the man had a poncho and an umbrella hat <laughs> on. But it was not the antics that surprised, that got me, but right. it was the simplicity. Yeah. It was a five minute illustration message yeah and i looked around me within a 10-foot radius there was at least 20 people that were wiping tears from their eyes that wow. were preachers preachers pastors wives because they're it's the the essence yeah of the simplicity of the relationship yeah. with god yeah that speaks more than yeah. just words paul said it i don't come with enticing words of right. man's wisdom right but i come with power yeah and demonstration there's something that I'm trying yeah. to convey that is not in how much I can say, but it's in what I'm saying. Right. So, you know, and, and to that, and this is, you know, this is just a complete rabbit trail, but it's interesting how, um, you know, in the beginning when God created all things, man was created to put it, succinctly uh, naked mm -hmm. they had nothing the, um, you know, they were just themselves simplicity right. it is interesting how the further away we have gotten from the garden um, the further away we've in essence gotten from God um, uh, as, a, as a world as a, as a creation um, as humanity itself, the further away from our originally created state we have gotten, the more complex we have become. That's true. The more, um, you know, not just complex in um, the way that we present ourselves, but in what we do and in what we say. When God created all things, there was such a simplicity to it. There was, it was such a profound simplicity to it. You are simply man and you are simply woman. There is nothing extra about you. You are simply how I created you to be, who I created you to be. And it's our relationship and your relationship with the rest of my creation. And that's all it is. Right. Uh, there, there was no, um, you know, there, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, the what we've endeavored, endeavored to do in our societies and our culture is necessarily wrong because we've made incredible advancements. But it could be argued that, you know, the, 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 the complexity that we have ushered in is nothing but a distraction from the simplicity that he wants us to abide in. Mm -hmm. And because of the complexity that our, our culture has, you know, ushered in and become so accustomed to, we no longer are able to entertain the simplicity of right. who he is. Right. An illustration that just came to mind because everybody knows weird illustrations <laughs> are just what flows through my mind. Um, if you take a person with no external help, 
tools, or resources, and you ask that person to reach up, they're going to reach up, and within five seconds, they're going to reach as high as they can reach, and then that's it. But if you ask them to reach to the left or to the right, they technically have whatever the diameter of the earth is, they have that length to keep moving and keep reaching and keep trying to get whatever they're trying to get. Yeah. The point I'm trying to make with that is we've taken our relationship with God that's meant to be vertical mm -hmm. and we've turned it lateral and horizontal. So God has designed it to be straight from us to him, right. which means in five seconds we'll realize that we've reached the end of our reach. Mm -hmm. And he has to take it from there. Right. But we've turned it lateral, laterally, and we're now trying to reach and extend and influence and affect our world around us without necessarily him being there. Right. Or I don't want to say without him because I'm not going to discredit everybody that pours their self into the gospel and, and reaching the world. But when I say without him, it's without the dependency upon him right because yeah. when you once you reach up i've got maybe eight feet and that's that's it think about everything from eight feet off of the ground to the stratosphere that's a lot of ground that, to cover that's a lot and that's what god takes care of for me right yeah but if i reach horizontally and i can't touch it i can physically move and still reach it yeah. So yeah. without re external resources, just me and myself, I can still make that mm -hmm. happen. And that's what familiarity gets us mm. is it teaches us that we can get to it mm -hmm. before we lose, before we've exhausted our own resources to where you have to completely depend on God. Right. To, to the point that I know people have said it before that we depend far too much on uh, insurance sometimes is what stops us from believing in a miracle. Now I'm not true. I'm not saying anything against insurance yeah. doctors. I love them. I've had some some two major surgeries this past year, in the past twelve months, and thank God for them. But at the same time, if you don't have resources, mm -hmm. if you don't have a hospital, if you don't have this or don't have that, your dependency on God is going to kick in a lot faster. That's right. Yeah. So it's not that you don't have faith in God. It's that your faith in God is put second mm. or third or, or fourth or, or the, the, the enemy of your soul does not have to get you to disagree with the word of God. Right. He just has to give you an option mm -hmm. other than. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to in taking this and, and trying to figure out the will of God for your life. And I know we're spidering out <laughs> bad now. Um, when you're trying to find all this out, the only thing that the enemy of your soul has to do is put an option in there to where now you have to think. Right. Because we we train ourselves to think that living for God is easy. It's yeah. Not, it's not easy. No. It's not hard. No. It's not meant to be grievous. No. It's not meant to be a burden that you can't bear. Right. But it's not. it's also not meant to be easy. Right. The garden was meant to be easy. Correct. The garden, however, did have circumstances and boundaries right. that were set, right. boundaries that were crossed. Right. But 
we have made things assumably too easy to where we think that, well, when I pray, God's going to give me the one option mm -hmm. and I'm going to go after that. Hmm. And then here comes the devil and he inserts right. option number two yep. or three or four. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you are in this spiral of an anxiety attack because right. you are praying and travailing over the will of God. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you are don't pray. It's not that you don't. It's just that there's you really need to, going back to the very beginning statement that you made in this podcast was the shepherd know his voice. Yeah. So is the familiarity with the word, has it numbed your senses to where you could read the word but yet not know the voice of the word? Mm. Because if you're praying, you should be able to discern Right. What voice is coming out of each option? That's right. Yeah. What voice is calling? Yeah. Louder than the others, but it doesn't even matter the louder. I, when we were playing as kids, we could we had this rule: we could play um, up to two streets behind ours, um, and a couple streets over. But we, me and my brother, my older brother, we knew that if we went past this house, or we went, we couldn't go to we couldn't go to Aaron's house, but we could go to Tommy's house. We couldn't go to uh, this person's house, but we could go to Daniel's house here and we could go play football in this field over here. Why? Because my dad had a whistle that stick his uh, two fingers in, under his tongue and he could whistle and let out a, a belt and we could hear it. And when we heard that sound, yeah, it didn't matter what else was going on. Our, our ears, believe it or not, we got trained to that sound. When we heard that first whistle, we knew that, hey, we need to stop what we're doing and start getting ready to get on our bikes and, and ride home. If we were not on our way home, there was time between each whistle, thank God, because <laughs> there's consequence if you weren't home on the third. But if you weren't on your way home when you heard the second whistle, you knew you were going to be late because he would give time for you to be at the farthest point to get home. So the familiarity with the voice, it didn't matter what we were doing. We knew that it, we knew that we couldn't go into somebody's house for too long because we couldn't hear his whistle inside the house. Mm. Correlate spiritual correlation. Don't get so buried into what you're doing that you can't hear the master's voice. Right. Yeah. So our familiarity with our circumstance, yeah, with our situation, our tolerance, our participation, our acceptance, um, the three levels of, of sin um, that I talked about last or a couple Sundays ago that they they usher you into that numbing of your senses to where now you don't don't discern the voice of God. Yeah. That's the simplicity yeah. is hearing his voice. Absolutely. There's no duplication right. to his voice, but there is an imitation. Right. So you have to know the 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 voice of the text, not just the words of the text. Right. So having that relationship matters. Right. And from that we could and you know this is another whole big long discussion that we don't have time to get into so we're not going to but from that you could uh uh bounce into the the discussion of the logos versus the rhema mm -hmm. and how um while those are two succinct uh or distinct um aspects of his voice you cannot have one without the other right they are forever intertwined but both are essential yes both are absolutely necessary in order to have that true 
um, familiarity with his voice. Mm -hmm. Cause like you said, familiarity while, you know, um, it can be a good and a bad thing depending on how, you know, we approach it. Right. Depending on how we use that familiarity, depending right. on how it's displayed in our lives. Um, so we're at 46 minutes here. Um, really haven't at all touched on our topic, but that's all right. So, um, so if you're right with it, what I think we'll do is start into chapter, um, verse 26 and 27, get however far we can in the next 13 minutes and then, uh, pick up here, um, and see how far we get after that. And maybe, <laughs> maybe try not to rabbit trail as no, much. No promises. No promises. Um, so to our um, topic of focus here um, for the next 12 minutes. Um, so Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Um, and it's interesting, uh, not rabbit trailing, just kind of setting the precipice here. Um, <laughs> uh, just want to clarify that. Um, right. Um, so in... Genesis 1, 26 to 27, we read of the creation of man. Um, but then in chapter 2, we read of a subsequent creation of man. Um, and the way that I've always understood that is it's not God creating. It's not two different aspects of creation. It's not two different points of creation. It's, you know, Genesis 1 was always is meant to lay the, uh, the it's like a summary. It's like a quick summary of what God did. Genesis chapter 2 then deep dives into the most, uh, what word could you use? The most um, precious aspect of God's creation, which is the creation of yeah. man. Um, and really gives us a, a in-depth view as to what that creation looked like. Mm -hmm. So it's not God creating man in two different places, two different times. Right. It's a brief statement on the creation of man and then a in-depth explanation of that creation. Okay. If, you know, if, you have the same understanding that I do. Yeah. It's, he's talking about the image in which he created man. Right. And then he's forming man and breathing into him. Right. So, yes, I would agree with that. Okay. Um, so, real quick, reading verses 26 through 27 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Um, so uh, point blank addressing the elephant in the room. Um, chapter 26, us and our, um, What's that about? You mean verse 27? No, uh, Genesis 1, verses 26. Uh, let us make man in our image. Oh, I'm sorry. The first part of 26. I was still looking at 27. <laughs> um, us and our. So, it's uh, it's a commonly misinterpreted, obviously, um, because it can su support somebody's argument on the opposite side. But it is um, the totality of the character, if you will, mm -hmm. and the power of God, the attributes of God. Yeah. Which 
not taking one scripture out of context is very important. And by not taking this one out of context, we understand that when throughout the rest of the Bible, mm -hmm. when it talks about who God is and who he is to us and mm -hmm. what he can be for you, it's all repetitive of the attributes of God that he pours into you. Right. God is love. Right. That's yeah. an attribute of God. That's that's a power of God. We don't know, just staying with that for a moment, we don't know what love is. Right. Except for God loving us. We love because, because he we first. We love because he first loved us. Right. So it's the same thing as a child. We The child does not pick up things except for what they see and they're taught. Right, right. So... If the parents don't teach them, somebody's going to teach them. Right, yeah. If they don't see you do it first, they're going to see somebody else do it first. We can go down that bunny trail for a long time. We could. So, but it's the attribute of God that it, what he was doing was speaking into, again, creating a sustainable atmosphere. Right. Let's, let's go back to the, the idea mm -hmm. of life being formed. Void right. is gone. Chaos is gone. Life is now present. Right. So, because life is present... God is creating a sustainable atmosphere. And because this, the way that he is making man and forming man, making him in our image, the plurality of the attributes right. is what he's doing is saying, I'm not going to make him with one singularity focus right. of atmosphere, but right. I'm the atmosphere around us. You've got your, your, your water. You need water to survive. Your body is 75% water. That's two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Right. Right? Yep. Not one element. Right. But two elements and actually three parts. Right. So there's a plurality of atoms and molecules that make you up. Right. There's a plurality of the air and the, the air that we breathe, the sunshine, the mm -hmm. ultraviolet rays, everything around us. There's a plurality of the atmosphere. Right. So what makes what makes it any different to understand that God wanted man to be created in that plurality of atmosphere that's right. sustainable. Yeah. yeah. So it brings the totality of his presence into the forming of man. Yeah. Um, so, um, and building off of that, uh, the word God itself in verse 26 is the word Elohim, mm. um, which in Hebrew is a plural word. Mm -hmm. But if you actually study out the makeup of Hebrew, they, they did not. So in, in, English in in, uh, in our Western culture, plural denotes multiplicity of things. Right. Um, but in Hebrew, that wasn't necessarily true. Mm. In Hebrew, they would use plural wor words to denote magnitude, to denote abundance, yeah. to denote power, to denote. That something, so when they used a plural describing a singular object, they were, they were uh, implying that that thing that they were speaking on could not be contained in a typical right. understanding of uh, just a singular object. Though it may have been singular, it was so abundant right. that to simply understand it as a singular was to downplay it, yeah. was to you know, miss its whole essence. Right. Um, so the fact that, you know, this translation got let us make in our image, as you said, the, the abundance of God and the fact that we were created in his image, mm -hmm. you know, he's so abundant. He is just, his magnitude is beyond, right. beyond limit. And then he put that same capacity 
for magnitude and abundance in his most prized creation. Right. Um, but, you know, there's, um, if you ask a, a Jew um, their interpretation of that, because Jews are obviously monotheistic. If you, mm-hmm. if you were to ask a Jew if, um, if there was, if they believe in any division or variation within God, they would say absolutely not. He is holy one. There, you know, Yahweh is God. That's right. it, plain and simple. Um, and so, when you ask a Jew what their interpretation of this is, is that they also believe that, you know, their idea is that maybe he was speaking to the angels. Um, because, you know, angels were heavenly being, heavenly hosts that right. God created. Um, and then so... Um, speaking to his his angelic host that he had created saying let us create in our image because you know we we get through scripture that there's some differences in their you know the way they're presented compared right. to us but there's also some similarities there right um so it's an interesting thing but also another thing that i believe actually um pastor lane pointed out was it says in um um ephesians chapter 1 uh, Paul is writing that God does all things after the counsel of his own will. Mm-hmm. And the royal we, you know, we all say it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we say the word let's. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what happens here. Right. Well, let's is let us. And we say it all the time, even when speaking of, right. to ourselves, about ourselves, only in the, in the company of ourselves. Right. But we use the plural the royal we because we are taking the counsel of our own will of our own thought mm-hmm. let's see what happens with this let's see where this goes right. um and so it could also be argued that um that god was doing the same thing the counsel of his own will let's create man in our own image right and see what happens you know that now we say that's not exactly yeah. how it went but that the same right. kind of implication I, I just thought we say that because of the voices in our head <laughs> If God has voices in his head, we're all doomed. Because <laughs> that thereby means that we also have voices in our heads because we were created in his image. So we just inherited that. Well, um, what a way to end the podcast. Right, there you go. We all have voices in our head. Good night, go. <laughs> um, no, so we are at 57 minutes. The podcast length is an hour. So we're going we're gonna to end this session really quick. Um, take a quick break. But the... Um, the next episode, uh, I guess we'll consider part two of this um, of this segment, and we'll continue this conversation. So we'll see you guys in here in just a few minutes. Thank you again for joining in with us today. We don't take it lightly. We don't take it for granted. We know that we all have busy lives and the, the fact that you took time out of your day to join us and listen in with us, it, it means so much to us. We pray that what was talked about today was a blessing to you and impacted you and made, made a difference in your life. And if it did, we would be so grateful and so appreciative if you shared this episode with someone you care about, a loved one, a family member or a friend, it would mean the world to us. In Jesus' name, God bless.